right. Thank you, Chris, for your leadership this morning. Good morning again. This summer, we rolled out some details connected to what we've called the Renew Campaign. And in your bulletin this morning, there are some FAQs, some frequently asked questions connected to the Renew Campaign. You might take a look at those as the morning moves along or this afternoon. We tried to anticipate a few of the things that might still be lingering or still being asked as we, uh, as we think about this effort in our church uh, to renew uh, some of our, our church property and our building and grounds. And you've, you've probably seen the drawings in the fireside area uh, and some of the things that have been pulled together with brochures and mail-outs and such, but this is, just, this is more than just drawings. It's more than just mail-outs. The Renew campaign is part of a comprehensive master plan that really seeks to do two things. One, it seeks to steward our building. Our building is this long-standing ministry tool. It's been here for 50-plus years. Uh, we want it to be here for 50 more years if the Lord tarries. And so uh, to do that, we have to invest in it. To steward things well uh, requires investment. So that's what we're seeking to do uh, on one angle. The other angle, the more important angle, uh, is so that we can better minister to people. We exist as a church family to minister to one another and then to also minister to our community to reach people with the gospel, uh, to reach people in a myriad of ways through children's ministry and youth ministry and, and through you just going into your neighborhoods and your workplaces and the schools uh, to, to see people come to know Christ. And this building serves as a great beachhead, uh, a century post for us to be able uh, to better minister to people and to reach people here in Enid. There's a verse, Titus, there's a lot of verses in uh, the scriptures about renewal uh, or about being renewed. I love this one in Titus chapter 3. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's a rich gospel uh, nugget there in Titus chapter 3. Just a few verses that encapsulate what happens to us as we encounter and put our faith in Jesus Christ. And chief among those things is that we are regenerated and we are renewed. And John Wiebe, our speaker this morning, is going to speak to that a little more, not the specific verse, but this idea of gospel renewal, that the gospel renews our hearts, renews our lives, puts us back together, and then everything in our lives starts to reflect that reality. And I think that's just a great motivator to think about our, our this building that we refer to as our church, even though we know we are the church, we happen to meet here in this location every week as the church. But gospel renewal is at really the heart of all of this. And as you've seen, or maybe I'll just repeat this again, there are three phases to the Renew campaign. Our church family has voted to enter into the first phase of Renew. And the first phase that, we're, that we voted to, to enter into a capital campaign for is accomplishing a few things. One, it's a proposed sanctuary remodel. So this space that we're in uh, will be remodeled really from floor to ceiling. 
Uh, we started with the floor because everybody says, hey, we need new flooring in here. But there's a trickle-down effect. As you begin to, to, to uh, replace certain things, other things need to be replaced. And uh, we've put together what I think is a really beautiful uh, sanctuary remodel. There's also a significant four-year expansion involved in, in phase one. There's a roof replacement, uh, our flat section of the roof in this area of the building, and then a rebuild of our, of our north and east entrances, make those more handicap accessible uh, and just more accessible in general. You've probably seen that the estimated cost for this phase one is $550,000. Um, and beginning next week, uh, we are gonna, we're asking our church family to turn in pledges and start being very intentional about giving toward the Renew campaign. And Randy Hamm, uh, after our sermon this morning, is going to share a little bit more about what the details of that look like. Which that brings me, though, to the introduction of our speaker this morning. Um, we, we have sort of giving and stewardship in front of us. Uh, so what do we do? Well, the pastor goes out and gets somebody else to come in and talk about that, right? Um, that's the way these things go. So uh, we've invited John Wiebe, and John is the president and CEO of, of MB Foundation, uh, which is a financial services arm of uh, our, our denomination. John earned a BA uh, at Tabor College in Hillsborough, Kansas. He has an MBA uh, from the University of Denver. He was a youth pastor for four years at Bellevue Acres Mennonite Brethren Church. I love former youth pastors. They're just kind of my kind, my breed. Uh, so I appreciate him and, and his ministry service uh, through student ministry. He's a member now of Parkview Mennonite Brethren Church, where he has served as elder chairman, worship leader, moderator. He started with the MB Foundation in 1996 as their vice president and then was appointed president in 1998. He's married to Ellen. They have two boys, Matthew and Joshua, who both uh, study at Tabor College currently. He says in his spare time, he enjoys just spending time with his family and cattle ranching. And I'll also say this about John. Uh, as you interact with people in our denomination and, and pastors in, in many of our, our denominations and districts, churches, um, everybody has such wonderful things to say about John Wiebe. Uh, he's an admired man, a very respected man, and we're really honored to, to have him in our pulpit this morning. So invite him and welcome him as he comes. Thank you, Jay, so much. It's, it's my privilege and honor to be here with you this morning. Um, I take it very seriously, the opportunity uh, to break open God's Word and to fellowship with uh, the local body of believers as, as I get this chance to do this. Thank you, worship team, uh, for leading us into God's presence and just uh, uh, inviting us to worship together with you. Worship continues to be the theme of this message, so I hope that you continue to have that spirit, and I'll, t I'll talk more about that. I want to bring you greetings from Mennonite Brethren churches all across the United States. So one of the privileges that I have is to visit different churches and to see the expression of God locally in these different churches and, and to just greet each other and be part of that fabric, that network that uh, helps to bind us together as, as a family, uh, as a Mennonite Brethren um, family of churches. So uh, hello. Uh, from churches all over. I also want to introduce Andy Shuey, who's here with me. Andy, at least give us a wave or something. Many of you know him. He grew up in Fairview, and he joined our team a, a number of years ago now, and uh, it is a privilege to be working alongside him. And if you have questions for the foundation and, and uh, want to visit with either one of us, we'll hang around as long as you'd like. And uh, although I do want to be home for the Denver Bronco game, okay, so I have my priorities straight. 
Um, you know now where my allegiances lie, but uh, that's just, I'll just throw that out there. It's all right. Um, but uh, we've got a lot of connections uh, to this church, and uh, there's not a lot of churches that I can go to where I can say we've got uh, former staff people. Eugene Carver uh, worked for the foundation for a number of years, so you know him. He's passed away. Ramona still attends here. Uh, Linford Becker was the one who saw beyond my problems and, and gave me an opportunity to work for the foundation. It was a former executive director, CEO of the foundation, so he attends here. Randy Ham, board member. Um, I think he's here, and there he is. Yeah, he's, we're going to call on him later. So a lot of connections to this church. Our graphic designer attends this church. Good grief. Uh, so when you see marketing stuff, that's all Kevin. Uh, he does just such a great job for us, and we're so we have a neat connection. And then, of course, we hired Garvey away from you. Sorry. But, uh, you know, you've, you've stayed on your feet, so I think you're doing fine, and we're doing great. And, and we're just so privileged to have uh, Gar- Garvey Schmidt uh, working on our staff here for the last, uh, I think, three years now. So enough of that. Um, it's, it is my privilege to be part of this Renew campaign. I'm excited for you and what God is doing here as he moves uh, among you as a people of God, and uh, it was a privilege to come down and be part of the, the leadership meeting about three weeks ago and to continue that with, with uh, being here this morning. I've been looking forward to this and eager to do it. Um, I love to talk about money, okay? Does that make anybody nervous to think of talking, loving to talk about money? Um, I, I do. It's a passion of mine. Uh, to talk about money and what God's Word says about money, okay? Not just to talk about what my financial statements say or don't say about money or to talk about how I can get more money. No, it's about primarily about what God's Word says to us about money and then how we can work that out in our lives. But I know that with many people, when we think about talking about money at church, that gets us a little uptight. And I'll bet there's a few of you out here this morning that are feeling that way. That you have this mindset of the church is just out for my money and, and, you know, all you care about is how much more I can give and the pastor wants a raise and, you know, these kinds of things. We, we, we've grown up in different places and different values and, and different messages that are getting, you know, passed on to us. And, and I just hope that you can release that this morning and just relax. We've already received the offering. Yeah, we're talking about the Renew campaign, but it's not just about that. It's, it's really about... What does God have to say to you today uh, through his word and through his spirit? He, he has the power to say something different to each one of you, regardless of what I fumble through from up here, all right? But I know that people get a little uptight, and so I like to share a story or a joke or something like that. And so I'll, I'll tell you about a time that I was in a church where, you know, they received the offering like you did. The ushers come forward. Uh, something they do different is they use the plates. You remember those? You know, you could see what people are giving or not giving, right? It's a little, not quite as much privacy as putting your hand in the bag and you don't really know what happened. Did he take some? Did he put some in? I mean, what happened there? Uh, but the plates, and so I was in this church sitting about two-thirds back, and the ushers came back, and they, they handed the plate to the guy right in front of me. And, of course, I noticed that he put a $1 bill in. And right at that moment, some plaster fell down from the ceiling and hit the gentleman on the head, and he was so, you know, confused and, and excited that he reached into his billfold and he pulled out a $100 bill and he threw that into the offering plate. And then I overheard the usher say, hit him again, Lord. He can give more. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that we're talking about a sanctuary renovation, you know, remodel here. I don't think anything's going to fall down on us, but 
you know, this isn't about coercion or making you feel obligated or scaring you into giving to the Renew campaign. Uh, this is about what, what is God's Spirit speaking to you, speaking to your family, uh, husband and wives being together on this and deciding together uh, where's God in our lives and what is He saying about our participation in this. So no plaster, no arms being twisted, none of that. And I want to actually approach this topic of money with, by laying first the groundwork from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. When I thought about the Renew campaign, that's where my thoughts turn. So Titus, great passage. Uh, of course, they're all great passages. It's God's Word. But for me, Romans 12, 1 and 2 has been a passage, I'm just going to touch on this briefly, that has guided my thoughts as I have talked and taught and, uh, and also applied what the Bible says about money to my life. Because I just think this, this is talking to us about money. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Offer our bodies, okay? That's everything we have. It's, it's everything that we are. It's not just our physical being. But we're supposed to offer it to God. And it says this is your true and proper worship. So for me, talking about money is first about worship. Yeah, I was, a, I was a youth pastor, but I also have been a worship leader for many years, and have not so much in the last number of years, but I approach money from the perspective of worship. I'm one of those weird blends. I could be on the worship board, or I could be on the trustees. Somehow it comes together. I don't know what, how God did that, but I guess He can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine to, to bring to those kind of opposites sometimes in our churches, but so we approach, I want us to approach this idea of money from an attitude of this is our proper worship. This is about worshiping God. Then it goes on to say, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And the, the key idea there, we're, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. You see, I think one of the challenges you have this morning as you listen to a message about money is getting rid of the, the ideas that the world is giving to us all the time about money. The world, I mean, 24-7 is telling us stuff about how we should view money, how we should use money, how we should want stuff, that the one who dies with the most toys wins, that it's all about success and climbing the ladder and you know, keeping up with the Joneses. I mean, you know all this stuff. And so we have to actually push back at all those messages and clear some space for God's Word to transform our minds and our hearts around this difficult issue of money. It reminds me of, of General Sam Houston. You know who that is? Great you know, Spanish-American uh, war general and, and governor of Texas and you know, this decorated individual. And he wasn't a Christian until later in life. And he became a Christian, and he, it was time for his, his baptism as an adult later in life. And they said, you know, you need to get rid of your wallet. And before you step into the water, you kind of have to, you know, take off whatever. You don't want to get wet. And he said, oh, I'm taking my wallet right into the water with me because I'm giving it all to God. Yeah, wow. What a spirit of worship, of obedience, of transformation. So I invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 17 to 19 with that that background of this is about being transformed from what the world says and being open to what god's word has to say to us with an attitude of worship around money first timothy 6 17 to 19 is what i'd like to 
focus on for the balance of our time. I'll be reading it out of the New Living Translation, and it reads like this. Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone, but their trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. And by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. This morning, I want to help us understand what kind of life will help us experience true life. I think there's key, key word, six key words or phrases that I want to highlight. So a little different approach, but as we work through these three verses, six key words. If you want to take notes, you can find a blank area somewhere in your bulletin and, and write these down. That's up to you. Uh, but the first word I want to draw our attention to is the very first word of the passage. And it occurs twice. It says at the beginning of verse 17, the beginning of 18, tell. Okay, some of your translations might say command or charge. This is a military term, okay? I bet we have some people here in the military. You understand the difference between suggesting or asking or commanding someone to do something. I think about that with my children. You know, there's a time when I can when my kids were younger and I could walk into the family room and I could suggest they get their shoes off the coffee table. You know, hey, would you please do that? Would you mind? You know, and I know what kind of response I get most of the time from those kids. And then there's other times when I come in, it's like, you know, I'm commanding them, the tone of my voice, the, my posture. I mean, they know what, what the difference is, right? You know what I'm saying? And the Apostle Paul is, is saying, command those. Command them. This is strong language, and so we need to sit up, take notice, listen, be quick to be obedient. The second word that jumps out at me, the fifth word in the passage, is the word rich. Command those who are rich in this world. Now, surely some of you, at that point, when you read that in the passage, just go, command those who are rich. Well, this is for that person over there in the or this is for those people that live, you know, I don't know where I'm pointing here, but, you know, live out there. They're the rich. So this, this scripture is, is good, but it's for them. Or maybe you're, you're the person who, you know, this is, for, this is for Hollywood. This is for the CEOs of corporate America. This is for the politicians. They're the rich in this world. So, so this is good, but it's for them. Well, I want to challenge that this morning. Now, Hillary Clinton I was just fascinated by what she said in early June, and this isn't meant to be any kind of political statement. We're talking about this, this idea that we, when we think of who the rich are, we're always thinking of someone else. Hillary said, We came out of the White House not only dead broke, but in debt. We had no money when we got there, and we struggled to piece together the resources for mortgages, for houses, for Chelsea's education. It was not easy. Anybody having a pity party for Hillary Clinton right now? I mean, you know, these politicians, they're so out of touch. George Bush didn't know how the scanner worked at the grocery store. And, you know, they're the rich of this world. They just don't get it. She's caught up in trying to pay multiple mortgages, you know. She's the rich. And yet, a few months ago, I went to Guadalajara, Mexico on a mission trip and realized a whole different perspective on who the rich in this world are when when we're trying to help a church just get a roof over their head, you know, and helping to build the building. You come back and realize that the pastor and his family, for $150 a month, he wouldn't have to work outside of the church. 
if he could just get that kind of support. 150 bucks a month. We spend that on our light bill. So who are the rich in this world? According to one website, if you make $20,000 a year, you're in the top 4% of the richest in the world, according to income. Even the average Christian teenager in America who has about $1,500 in disposable cash income each year, just working over the summer, makes more than 75% of the people on this earth. Folks, I have good news and bad news for you, okay? The good news is we're rich. The bad news is, if you want to take it that way, is that the Apostle Paul is commanding those who are rich in this world. So we need to sit up and take notice. This isn't about someone else. This isn't about people over there. This is about you and me and how we respond to the message that Paul has to, for us. And the third word that I'd highlight is the word trust. Or maybe your version has the word hope. What do you trust in? What gets your hope, your focus, your anticipation? Where do you get your security in this life? Paul says, command those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to put their trust or their hope in stuff, in the things that we have, in the balance in our checking account or our financial statement or our IRA, our retirement plan, our home, the options that we have because of the incomes that we have. Not to put our trust in all that stuff which garners all of our attention so much of our time. And rightly so. I mean, that's the temporal world that we live in. That's okay, but where are we putting our trust and our hope? He says your trust and your hope should be in the living God. How do we get our eyes to go up off of this stuff and onto the God of the universe, our Savior? Reminds me of of Deuteronomy chapter 8, where Moses was warning the Israelites as, as they were on the verge of entering into the promised land, and he said to the people, When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Folks, where do you put your hope? Where do you put your trust? Have you become proud in what you've been able to accomplish? It's a challenge for both of us this morning. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's release the pressure out of the room just a little bit, okay? That can feel a little heavy, right? I love the end of verse 17. God gives us all this stuff, my paraphrase, for our enjoyment. That's my fourth word or phrase for you, our enjoyment. Okay, if you want to make notes and you, you're writing these words down, our enjoyment. I love that. Paul knows this is heady stuff. Paul knows this is not an easy command for us to swallow. He's calling us rich. He's laying it on us. Hey, quit putting your hope in this stuff. Look up. Put your hope and trust in God. Live that way. And oh, by the way, God did give you this stuff for your enjoyment. That feels better, doesn't it? Gives us a little freedom here. God knows this, this stuff. He's blessed us. The question is, why has he blessed us? Is it just for our enjoyment? Or is there something more? And I would suggest there's something more. And I think verse 18 is really what's more, okay? Why we need to, 
reorientate our thinking, why we need to think about how we can live a worshipful life and be transformed and live differently than the world around us. Okay, enjoy it, but here's what it says in verse 18. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. There's four phrases in there. I'm just going to boil it down to this one. Give generously. That's my fifth point. Give generously. I love Chip Ingram's book, The Genius of Generosity. Maybe some of you have seen that, but he has a great quote in there. It says, stewardship is the path and generosity is the adventure. Stewardship is the path and generosity is the adventure. Financial Peace University, great stuff, all right? But, you know, we can get focused on the stewardship, the, the let's get my financial house in order, let's have a budget, let's have long-term goals, let's get our handle, hands around our credit card debt. All those things are great ideas and great to pursue. But stewardship is just the path. Here's where it gets fun. Generosity is the adventure. That's where real excitement, real joy in our spiritual life can come to play. It's similar to the words in 2 Corinthians 9, 11, where it says, you will be made rich, same word, you'll be made rich in every way, so that you could be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So we're made rich for a purpose. For our enjoyment? No, that's, that's kind of a side benefit, folks. The purpose is so that we could be ready to do good, to be rich in good works, to give generously on every occasion. And the beautiful thing is, is that when we're generous, praise goes to God. It's an, it's, a, it's an item of worship. It's an act of worship. It's an opportunity to point people towards Him. Randy Alcorn said, too often we assume that God has increased our income to increase our standard of living, when His stated purpose is to increase our standard of giving. When was the last time you increased your standard of giving? I'm not saying increase the amount you give, because that happens fairly naturally if we're proportional givers, and as we have higher incomes, we'll be giving more. But when was the last time you increased your standard of giving? The, the percentage you wanted to give, the amount of worship and the joy, uh, the adventure that you wanted to be a part of. Well, you may be asking, well, where should we give? Okay, we can be convinced to give generously, but there's so many options out there. And new options every week, we hear about new opportunities to give, new charities that need the resources. And I would suggest that, that the local church is the number one place to give of our offerings, to give worshipfully. And I would suggest that for these reasons. There's, I think, three things that God really, really, really cares about. Okay, I'm taking a little risk here because there's so many that you could list. But three things I think God really cares about. Number one is he cares about people coming to know Christ and then growing in their faith. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, verse 19 and 20. You know, go and make disciples. I mean, God cares about people that don't know about him. And he cares about us growing in our faith. And where does that happen best? But through the ministry of the church as we reach out into the community tell people about Christ, provide them a place to grow up in their faith. The second thing that I think God cares about is the poor. All through Scripture, you read about God's care and concern for the needy, for the poor, 
for those who are less fortunate, for those who we wouldn't say they're rich in this world. You know, Acts 6, one of the first problems of the early church was that the widows weren't being taken care of. And God, this great mushrooming of evangelism that was taking place, and God said, hey, let's slow down. We've got to take care of this. We've got to take care of the widows over here. God cares about the poor and the needy. And that happens so effectively through the local church. And number three, God cares that, that those that we call into service to shepherd us as the local body, that they're taken care of. Okay, so that the ministry of the local church is the best place to take care of all three of those things. And if your church is doing that, and I feel pretty safe saying this, if you're reaching the lost and discipling new believers and, and old believers as well, if you're caring for the poor and needy in this community and around the world through, through the impact of, of people being sent and resources being sent, and if you're supporting those who are called to shepherd you and to teach you and guide you, then, then the local church is a great place to be involved and to give generously first and foremost. So I think the Renew campaign makes sense as we think about how we can be generous and do good. Well, let's talk about the motivation. I've already talked about wanting to be worshipful and show our, our thanksgiving to God through our, our gifts. Uh, but verse 19 gives us a, kind of a little different twist, a little different way of looking at this. So this would be the, the sixth phrase that I would throw out there would be experience true life. I want to read verse 19 again. It says, by doing this, by doing good, being rich in good works, giving generously, all those things, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. As I said, generosity is the adventure, but here it talks about true life or taking hold of real life, maybe your version says. This is our reward and motivation, but folks, it's, there, there's two rewards and motivations, I think, mentioned in that verse. One is kind of the, the standard, you know, Matthew 6, uh, storing up treasure in heaven kind of reward, right? I'm going to be generous. I'll get another jewel in my crown, get another home or apartment attached to my mansion or whatever. I get a little finer fixtures on my house. You know, but we can't really grasp that, can we? Maybe you can, but I, I have difficulty with that. I, I know it's true, but I can't quite grab hold of it. But I think there's another piece here that's talking about you may experience true life as you do this. It's talking about now. That if you're generous, life will be better. You could take hold of real life. Well, what does that mean? Best illustration for me that I've been able to come up with, maybe you have a better one, share it with me, I'll use it next time, um, is, is my youngest son who loves to play video games. Okay, you got a few kids like that? Yeah, see ya. Yeah, and he loves the sports ones. And, and so we're sports fans. And I'll come home from work when he was still in junior high, high school. And at supper, he'd start talking about some game. And, you know, so-and-so threw the ball here, and he cut, and he did this great play, and we scored, and the Broncos won. And I'm like, what game are you talking about? I, miss, I must have missed that game. I, I don't know what you're Oh, uh, I played Madden, you know, before you got home. Oh, you're playing video games. Okay, you, you're all excited, but you realize that's not a real game. Okay, that's, that's a fake game. That's just, it's okay, but I mean, it's a video game. And you're, you're acting like the Broncos really won, and they didn't win. They, it's a video game. It's, it's that we get caught up, I think, in, in this, this temporal life. We think it's real life. 
And it's not real life. It's just an image of, of real life. But God's saying not only can we experience real life when we get to heaven, but you can experience real life right now. If you live a life of generosity, you'll find how smart that is. and You'll get to experience real life. You'll begin to take hold of real life. You'll experience the Christian life in a whole new way. I want to leave you with a story from John Wesley. He's one of my my stewardship heroes. I'm sure you've, many of you have heard the phrase, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can, right? Uh, well, but many of us are unfamiliar with some of the details of his story, and, and I think he really exemplifies what this passage says. Uh, John Wesley grew up in a very poor home. Uh, his father was, was an Anglican priest. Uh, he, he made very little money. He had nine children, and they were very poor. His father was usually in debt, and one time he was even marched off to debtor's prison. So that's a little bit about his background. But uh, John chose to share in that same work vocation, but not in the, in the same poverty. And so he took a job at uh, Oxford University, and his annual salary started at 30 pounds, and he lived quite comfortably. And on one particular day, he had just gone out on a shopping spree, literally, and had bought some paintings and some artwork, for his apartment he decorated his place and and after he was done there was a knock on the door and the chambermaid came to his his door and provided some things for him that he needed and and he noticed that she she had hardly any coat to wear and it was very cold outside and it struck him at that moment that he had all this money to decorate his place but she wasn't even she didn't even have clothing to keep her warm from the cold and so he made a decision right there. He, he felt convicted by that incident and that observation. He began to limit his expenses so he would have more money to give to the poor. His records show that in 1731, his income was 30 pounds, and his living expenses were 28, so he gave away 2 pounds. Not quite the tithe, that'd be 3 pounds, but he gave away 2. The next year, his income doubled, but he still lived on 28 pounds, giving away 32 in the third year, his income jumped to 90 pounds. He gave 62 away. The fourth year, he earned 120, lived on 28, and gave 92 to the poor. And Wesley preached for years that Christians should not merely tithe, but give away all extra income once the family and creditors were taken care of. And he practiced what he preached throughout his life. He increased his standard of giving, not his standard of living. In a year that his income reached 1,400 pounds, he gave all away except 30. He decided to enjoy two more pounds that year. His reports show that he never possessed as much as 100 pounds at one time. I'm not suggesting a life of frugality and giving it all away every year, uh, but a wonderful example for us that might encourage us and cause us to grow in our practice of generosity. In conclusion, I'd pose three questions for you. If you haven't taken any other notes, I would encourage you to take out a pen and write down these three questions. I'm sorry I didn't have them printed out for you before I came. But these would be questions that I would encourage you to pray through and think about, meditate on, and answer before you make a pledge or make a gift to the Renew campaign. If you have already have, that's fine. But consider these three questions as you consider this passage and the Renew campaign. First question I have for you is, how do you respond to the reality that you are rich? Prayerfully consider, how do you face the facts and respond to the reality that you are 
rich. Okay, we're not going to debate it, but just the reality that you're rich. Number two, how might you better exhibit in your life that your trust is in the living God and not in your stuff? How could you better exhibit in your life that your trust is in the living God and not in your stuff? And lastly, what change do you need to make in order to practice greater generosity? Getting practical, what change might you be able to make in order to practice greater generosity? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this time together. Thank you for your word, which uh, doesn't uh, beat around the bush, but says it very plainly. Um, Lord, I pray that out of an attitude of worship and a desire to be transformed through the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that we would each prayerfully consider uh, what's been laid out, how your Holy Spirit is talking to each one of us. It's different for each one in the room, and I just trust you for that. I pray that you would help us to to deal with the issues of being rich, of being challenged to put our trust in you, and to live a life of generosity. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.